With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. We can truly replicate the convenience store experience in which we are servicing the same amount of people that a convenience store can. Our efficiency is through the roof. Our costs are way down. Ours is faster, cheaper, and more convenient. It's like for consumers, it should be a no-brainer. And for us... It's a very viable business model. We're not the last mile delivery service. We're the last minute delivery service. This is Finding Founders, a podcast showcasing the vibrant entrepreneurial spirit of Los Angeles and my journey to find the founders responsible. I'm Samuel Donner. And today on the show, we talk to UCLA undergrad Angel Herrera, a co-founder of Need, which is an online retailer that delivers snacks, desserts, drinks, toiletries, cleaning supplies, and school supplies in a matter of 10 minutes or less. I think the best way to put it is 7-Eleven on wheels. The format of this interview was a bit different from what we are used to. That's our own Adrian Tapia. There are five co-founders of Need, and they all have their own unique and interesting stories. But we wanted to use Angel's story as the initial framework. His story follows a sharp transition from a lost, misguided kid to a dedicated, determined entrepreneur who is now ready to tackle the future of delivery services. I personally felt connected to this rise. I too grew up in an environment that lacked constant guidance and representation. There were times in my life where I had to take responsibility and help myself. But like Angel, this DIY attitude was encouraged by a particular individual in my life. Angel's story shows us that there's no such thing as a dream being too late to chase. And for that reason, we are using his story as an initial framework to explain how Need was created and introduce the other founders along the way. To start with Angel, we have to go back, back to his childhood. Growing up in Utah with two divorced immigrant parents from Mexico, Angel's childhood was tough. Angel's mom wasn't physically present, spending long hours working at her strenuous factory job. Even in this less than ideal situation, Angel found inspiration in his mother's incredible strength and work ethic. My mom, she would work 12-hour days every single day, and I just remember her commitment to working even though she was tired. She doesn't stop, and so that was something that I always really respected about her. I'm a lot like my mom in the way that I try to pursue the same endeavors in my life with the same vigor that she did. Angel's father, on the other hand, played a more nurturing role. He spent more time with the kids, driving them to school in the mornings, and made sure Angel felt free to follow his passions. And my dad was always super free. Like, he was always super, like, find your journey, find what you want, do what you want, do what you love. My dad was just, like, always, like, really liberated. And I think he was the only person that didn't make me feel like I was boxed up and, like, I had to do something. <laughs> like, at one point, he drove me at 1 a.m. to, like, a house party. Like, he's like, oh, my little boy's just, like, on his journey or whatever. But he didn't know what it was for. Because my mom and my dad were divorced, my dad wasn't at home. So he was given the information that I was giving him. We are the amalgamation of our parents in a lot of ways. And my dad taught me to go for what you love. And my mom taught me to work for it until you have it. Angel's parents served as role models of how to live well and succeed in life. But as a Mexican-American kid growing up in a diversity-lacking America, Angel didn't see successful people that looked like him represented in the media. In his community, money and power and perceived success was evident in one group, gangs. So Angel looked to the gang members around him, who he saw as a powerful and free group who could fulfill his longing desire for guidance and direction. 
I came from a place where like I didn't really see a lot of Mexicans on on screen or I didn't really know what it meant to be like a successful Mexican because every everyone that I saw on screen was was white and I couldn't fit myself in their stories and so I was looking for one I saw the gang life and this ability of like look at these people that come from the same place that I came from and they're doing things they're at least being seen and they have power in some sense and I think I was um, attracted to that idea of not 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 being controlled and junior high is like just kind of crazy time for everybody and the place that I came from um, there wasn't again a lot of opportunity and so when these people came and, and they offered me in in essence a family like people who would be down for me like no questions asked because my mom was gone and um i was really attracted to that and so i decided to get jumped in and so like what that means is they they brought me into my junior high school bathroom and three guys um stood around me and then beat the fuck out of me and um at the end i would be indoctrinated and I was and from then on like I couldn't wear certain colors and we would just do stuff that gangs did we were kind of like the minor leagues for gangs so what happened was like the bigger brother of our gang leader was a real gang member and he was like riding around doing crazy shit and he was kind of trying to teach us so that eventually we would go into that space so it, it kind of got to a head where we would just like incrementally inch by inch because we're still kids and we would just like incrementally make bigger and bigger steps towards harder and harder crimes and it wasn't until I almost got a criminal record that I realized what the actual consequences were for this kind of life we had skipped school and we were like smoking weed and i don't know how much i should incriminate myself we snuck out of school and we were, we were doing things during school hours and they knew where we were the guy's mom that was the owner of the house she ran in through the front door and they knew that we we're gonna fucking scurry up the back window and um i was the third in line in the fence and i see my first friend edwin get snatched up by the school police officer and they're waiting for us. The second guy in front of me stopped. I had the weed in my pocket, so if I got caught, I'd go down. So I like I just like turned around and jumped the fence and then I hid in between like these two brick walls with a family of goats staring at me for like four hours until they left. That was a close call. I got home. They ended up calling my brother. He was like, How's school today? And me, I thought I got away. I thought I fucking got away, right? Because I was there, the goats. I walked home, it was all clear. And so I was like, fine. And he was like, Yeah what'd you do? And I was like, oh, you know, we had like a math test or whatever. He's like, really? Cause your fucking school called me. And I was like, fuck. I was like, right there. I was like, it's over. And so the next day we ended up going with the meeting and the guy, like the police officer showed us the, the school code and he was like, we can press charges, but they didn't end up doing it because we're kids. This moment was an awakening for Angel. He realized that he was going down the wrong path, but he wasn't sure how to get on the right path. Soon, he found out there was a way to leave this violent community, but it wouldn't be an easy departure. It wasn't in our frame of minds that you could leave a gang. The idea is that once you're in, you don't get out. And if you get out, theoretically, they'll kill you, right? But because we're in the minor leagues, it never got to that point. But I remember the day that it all changed. It was like this guy named Luis, and he was like a ride or die for, for the gangs. And one day, he shows up to school in the opposite gang color. 
and we would get beaten up if any of us wore red. And so when he showed up wearing all fucking red, it was him against 12 guys. They like took him to this like park in between the apartment. And um, because he was no longer a part of the family or a part of the gang, they jumped him for 60 seconds and um, ended up with um, him getting his head stomped by our gang leader. That was like the first time that is actually kind of real. After that, like, we kind of realized, like, if you're going to do that to your own fucking homie, like, what would stop you from doing that to anybody? And so me and two other friends got jumped out because we just didn't want to be a part of that anymore. Angel had left the gang, but now he was without direction. He was momentarily aimless. For a long time, the gang had successfully coerced him into believing that the path they were leading him towards was the right one. Finding a new one and changing his mindset would be difficult, but one person was able to help him. So I went to private Catholic school for a month until I couldn't afford it. And then I went back to my high school and I introduced myself to my theater teacher. I was kind of alone at that point, and so I didn't really know where to go. And luckily, like, really thank God that my theater teacher, I had failed her class twice in junior high for theater. And when I came back to high school, because she transferred to my high school, she was the only teacher that kind of let me back and forgave me for what I had done before. And from then, like, I was just under her wing for the the remainder of the three years. And together we, we built the theater community. She just let me explore, truthfully. Like, I didn't start out directing. I started out acting. And because I was so interested in it, I ended up writing a play. And I asked her in the beginning of the, of the year if I could put it up. And she ended up letting me do it. And that's kind of when I fell in love with it. Everything that she taught me, I just... I just really liked directing and I really liked telling stories and being with people. And and so I just decided to go ahead with it. Going ahead with it, he did. And he applied to the UCLA School of Theater, Film, and Television. Angel had spent his childhood searching for someone to look up to, someone to give him focus and direction. He thought he had found it with the gang, but it was his theater teacher that would truly fulfill this role. He finally had guidance. He finally had a role model. People could spend a lifetime looking for a mentor, someone to guide them through the crucible of life. Angel found this person at the moment when he was most vulnerable and most susceptible to influence. Luckily, that influence was good. His theater teacher was there to give him the push he needed to pursue this new venture in life. Angel wanted to bring people together and hone his craft as a director and realize that UCLA would be the best place for him to learn about filmmaking. I got into UCLA the day that my entire theater troupe went to Disneyland. Um, And so I told my theater teacher that I'd got into UCLA while the fireworks were going off, like the Lion King fireworks. And that was like a really beautiful moment. And we like, we, we didn't cry yet. We didn't cry. I just told her that, but it didn't become real. It wasn't real um, because it was $60,000 a year. And I knew if I had to pay anything above like a couple thousand, I wouldn't go to college. And so um, what, two months later, I got the reply from Gates Millennium Scholarship. And that was a full ride. And that's when I, I, like, I called her up on my phone. I fucking bawled. And, like, she has a voicemail of me just, like, crying to her, telling her that we fucking, that, that we did it. And thank you. And that was, I think that was when the point where I thought maybe I could be a director. 
A UCLA education would open up a wide range of possibilities for Angel, and often those possibilities are not revealed through academic success. During my time at UCLA, I realized that the most important thing that UCLA provides is a talented network of motivated young people. One day, Angel stumbled upon one such motivated young person. This person would become his best friend and partner in crime, Rohan. Here's Rohan to introduce himself. Hi, I'm Finding Founders. I'm Rohan. I'm Angel's co-founder for like everything. And two and a half summers ago, me and two of my friends, we wanted to make this movie in Utah. So we started Kickstarter and we raised like $11,000 and we wanted to get a crew together for the movie. And none of us had ever been to Utah. We posted a Facebook post and we're like, hey, we're making this like short movie. Can anybody help? This is pre me knowing I'm going to UCLA. This is when I'm in high school. And like we start calling people and one of the people that we called is this kid named Angel Herrera. So he says, I'm, the, I'm going to UCLA. Like, I'm in the theater school there. And I didn't know I was going to UCLA. So that was just like a little fact in my mind. But then we went to Utah. The movie fell through. Fast forward to a year later, where I just realized I wasn't having fun making movies anymore. But I decided to give it one last try. So I go to work on this set that my friend invites me to. And I get there. The first thing Angel does is like points at me and yells. He's like, go find the diopter. I forgot that I had met angel like on this skype call so i have to go look for this diopter and then like you know we start talking more and more and uh on the second day of the shoot we just got like really high together like while he was operating the camera i was so stressed on that set i slept three hours in three days we were super ambitious and we'd you know bitten off a little more than we can chew as student filmmakers and rohan was like the first one that was just enjoying his time he wasn't stressing about everything and so that's when we got high for the next three months, we just started hanging out naturally more and more together. And this whole time, both of us did not remember the Skype call. We've become best friends and we're in this room and we're like shooting this video. And out of nowhere, Angel just starts grabbing my hand really hard. And he's like, Rohan, did you Skype? Like, yeah. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I, both of us, it clicks in our mind and we just start losing our minds. We're like, what are the, what are the odds that we talked for like two minutes on the Skype call a year and a half ago and then forgot about that and then became best friends just organically despite the fact that I didn't even really want to do movies anymore. Angel and Rohan's friendship and skills grew with every project they pursued together. Their growth as filmmakers is a product of a consistent search for purpose and impact. Constantly, Angel and Rohan posed each other questions that scrutinized what they were producing. Eventually, they realized the films that they were making weren't what they wanted to make. One conversation changed the course of both of our lives because Angel is the first one that gave me confidence to do it 100%, but it's something that I've been feeling inside for a very long time. Over the summer, I tried to make another film project and it really just wasn't, I wasn't having fun. Like we were talking about, it just wasn't enjoyable in any way. In the car, we were talking about like our futures and whether or not the film industry could give us what we wanted out of life. This time was we both realized the thing that I enjoyed so much more were the things that the people around me were enjoying, the things that people in our lives actually liked. We would make these angsty short films and then we'd show it to our friends and our family. I'd show it to my mom and she would be like confused as to what she's seeing. I only want to make art if the people in my life are going to love it and appreciate it. And if they weren't, then that means that I'm doing something wrong. And so what really came to is like, we made this spec commercial for Bird. The idea was like a grandma 
riding a bird. What would happen if we just saw like, this beautiful shot of slow motion, like grandma just riding on a bird, telling the story about how she rode on a bird, like 30 seconds long. Like I was hanging out of the truck of my car, filming this grandma we found off LA casting. Everybody that we showed that video to was like, holy shit, that was awesome. That was the first time in my life that anybody would react to a piece of work that I made in that way. We made one for Guayaki and they really loved it and it ended up being their most popular video in the history of anything that they've ever posted on Instagram. And that's really where Nut Ads came from. And Nut Ads would allow us um, to tell stories for companies that would change the world. Having found something they could be passionate about and be proud of, Angel and Rohan were back on track. Excited with their new endeavor, Nut Ads, they reached out to businesses and startups, hoping to make some money directing and editing ads for those companies. And that is where they met David, the founder and head of Get Powered. Now, to David. I was taking a philosophy course and I really started wondering, what am I? There are worker ants, there are builder ants. Am I a firefighter human? Am I a doctor human? And I came to the conclusion that like, I want to create something that influences the world. I always loved electric vehicles, but I couldn't manufacture anything because I don't have money or a factory. So I thought it had to be service-based. If you're mobilizing people with these scooters, you could be mobilizing items. So delivery service was the natural next step. Okay, I own a boosted board. I know how to create Wibbly websites from high school. And I got my friends to help me. And we marketed, we handed out flyers. Eventually, we grew the team. The meetings on Fridays just kept growing larger and larger. And that's when Rohan and Angel came on. David Lynn changed the course of my life with one thing. And it was a Weebly website. It was called getpower.org. And it was a Weebly website where you just have a text box where students just write what they want. And then David would go and deliver it. I thought it was the worst thing I'd ever seen. And something really clicked in my mind that I realized that this ugly little Weebly website is the difference between success and not. This man did not give a fuck about what everybody was saying, how ugly the website was. Nobody I had ever seen that was our age had ever started something with so little regard for what everybody else cared about that when I really understood how powerful that was, I realized that anything is possible. Like, why the fuck wouldn't we start? Why the fuck wouldn't we make a Weebly website? Who cares? It's a work in progress. Everything was always trapped in this ether of what should we do? What should we say? And David was the first person that just stopped fucking talking and got up and did it. Angel and Rohan had started off as the dudes from Nut Ads, trying to make a quick buck producing ads for this basic Weebly website. But soon they became integral members of this delivery service. This partnership between the two parties would go on to foster and create the rising business that they have today need i really do believe that us making nut ads and david making get powered prepared us to make need get powered was this huge really really big idea which was a peer-to-peer delivery service so i need shampoo right now i ping everyone around me who has shampoo and then somebody delivers shampoo the real fundamental grounded principle that led to all of this shift was we realized that when we stock up on items that people are ordering and want anyway, our delivery times would go down by 80%. It started out as just whatever people request, we'd just be like every other service, go to the store, pick it up. Slowly, I built up a record of what I was delivering and I realized, wait, if I just bought a bunch of this and kept it in my apartment, I wouldn't have to go to Target. I could just go straight to them. It's a faster um, experience for them and it's cheaper for me. Um, so that was the natural step. 
And so now we're doing something more along the size, like a digital store. When we came on board, we had a lot of arguments about peer-to-peer. Me personally, I've just never believed really in a lot of different peer-to-peer solutions. Like I hear it as a buzzword at this point, because the issue really comes down to, and and this is the conversation that we had a lot, customer is the number one arrow. It's what led Amazon to become Amazon. You really have to just understand what your customer wants and then build around that. Ever since we started doing that, every little revelation that we've made has become so significantly a piece of what we do. So when you ask about the rebrand, it really was a rebrand away from buzzword-oriented tech startup to what service can we provide for the people of UCLA? And we realized that we can deliver people what they want and more importantly, like what they need. This innovative peer-to-peer service continues to grow by the day. And Angel, Rohan, and David attribute this instant and rapid success to three principles. The first one being delivery with entirely electric vehicles. So like motorized electric scooters and skateboards. It allows us to be the only delivery service that can consistently deliver to people's doors. You walk into a convenience store and what's so convenient, you could buy one yerba mate and then leave. There is no world where a car-based delivery service can cost-effectively deliver just one item. It's not possible. Imagine you order a Yerba off a GoPuff and a dude in a warehouse 30 minutes away drives over here and then gives you one Yerba Mate. That would cost you $8 on top of the Yerba Mate alone. These cost us nothing. So really just think about the efficiency that we create. We can fit way more orders in 30 minutes than GoPuff possibly could. Our efficiency is through the roof. Our costs are way down. Ours is faster, cheaper, and more convenient because we don't have to park. We can reliably get to your door. Our average delivery time for this past week was just above five minutes. We can truly replicate the convenience store experience in which we are servicing the same amount of people that a convenience store can while GoPuff can't because they're limited by time. It's like for a consumer, it should be a no-brainer. And for us, it's a very viable business model. We're not the last mile delivery service. We're the last minute delivery service. Five-minute delivery is absolutely extraordinary and revolutionary. However, this isn't the only remarkable business model carrying need to success. Their second principle is the constant drive to improve user experience. When you really think about how the customer uses your product and how they use your service, so many key metrics are illuminated. And when I watch someone try to order off of our website, we got these really pretty pictures, but every time that someone added something to their cart, it would take them back to the top of the page. People hated that. And so what we realized is we need to make it really fun for people to add things to their cart. Because we really love to watch people use our service. Like we realized that one of the main KPIs that we're focused on when we're talking about user experience is how long did it take for someone to order? So we have Google Analytics so we could track the average number of time that it takes for someone to land on our webpage to when they order. And one of our big goals is we're trying to drive that number lower and lower and lower. So when we first started our service, it was three minutes and 30 seconds. We just hit two minutes and 15 seconds. So we brought it down by a minute and 15 seconds, which I feel very proud of because that is along the lines of really making it the best user experience. And all of those decisions we're making really is based around creating the most convenient easiest to use, simple platform for the consumer that's super compelling in the long run. 
Truly, if you really want to market effectively, you just need to have empathy for the people that you're servicing. One of the biggest improvements was I needed batteries. And so we had a courier on shift and I ordered batteries. And for the entire history of our entire organization, we've always texted our customers, hey, we're on the way. Hey, we're downstairs. And then like they come downstairs and then we give it to them. And when I needed those batteries... I realized I didn't want to go downstairs. I just wanted the person to come up to my room. And then the fact that they were texting me was so much of friction. Ever since that day, we've transitioned entirely to, we no longer text any of our customers that were coming. We just show up to their door. And that has made the world of a difference when it comes to returning customers, when it comes to retention, when it comes to lower churn rates. It's like these little things that you can only notice when you have empathy for the people that are using your service. And the way that we do that is we make the service something that we would want to use. Angel, Rohan, and David take pride in their speedy delivery and rapid, ever-decreasing order times. But the treasure that lies beneath their success is their third principle, the cost, efficiency, and sustainability of need. Every car-based delivery service runs into a huge dilemma, which is the gas wage dilemma. No current car delivery service pays for your gas. And you're getting paid dollars in the hour. And you're making these long-ass deliveries. So you're pretty much losing the money that you're making in this gig economy on the gas that you're spending most of the time. We provide the scooters and we have full understanding of every cost that is involved with these scooters. We pay three cents to charge these scooters every single night. And it's like zero dollars per delivery after that. I really hope that more services in the future adopt EVs as a cheaper and more sustainable alternative towards gas-powered cars that cost on every single end. It's cheaper not only in that it's financially cheaper for us, it's cheaper for humanity. We are all paying a cost for this chemical experiment of taking up old dinosaurs and burning them in engines to run our vehicles. I couldn't imagine feeling okay going to sleep building an infrastructure that's not sustainable for the future. There is an economic incentive if you really see the long tail of building something that is sustainable. In 10 years, when climate change is seriously affecting humanity, the number one funded startups and the number one funded industries are going to be the sustainable energy industries because energy is running out and whoever has a solution for what we do next is going to be the ones that win in the, in the end. So entrepreneurs, I heavily think that they should be focusing on sustainability. They should be a forefront of their business, not an afterthought. When you really break it down and understand that energy is finite the way that we're using it. And once it runs out, whoever's got the next thing, they're going to win. Angel, Rohan, and David all saw an opportunity, an opening, a chance to revolutionize an untouched industry that wasn't up to par with the demands of the 21st century consumer. Despite the influx of peer-to-peer delivery services, these college students have started something that was unique, something that we need. Finally, Adrian asked what advice Angel had for you guys, the people listening to this podcast. I think that the biggest thing that entrepreneurship has taught me is that we only have one side of a perspective and that there's so many perspectives in this world. It wasn't until that I found this particular group of people that could give me their nuanced perspectives that I feel like I can understand more than just myself. And with these people, like, I just feel like I'm learning so much in every single moment. Like during this podcast, I'm still learning so much about how it is that these people around me think. And by being around that and by us living our lives together, we are learning and becoming the amalgamation of each other. It's really about finding the people around you that you can learn with. That's the really cool part about entrepreneurship. 
to this interview, I had one goal, to understand the trials and tribulations one has to wade through to achieve success. We started off with Angel and his search for a family and his misplaced allegiance to gang life. Angel has been searching for a while and he finally found that family in the need team. We then moved on to Rohan and his fervent passion for grandiose visions and love of intensity and energy. And we finished off with David and his eagerness and lack of regard for initial critiques. That was the seed that grew into the company need is today. I'm excited to watch this startup grow before me on my college campus. I'm excited for the future of peer-to-peer delivery and I am most excited to see where Angel, Rohan, David, and the rest of the need team We'll take the company next. So a little update, Need has now pivoted and become Duffel. Basically, they want to give people the framework that Need was built on so they can create their very own store. The team has gotten a lot of traction and recently was accepted to the prestigious accelerator Y Combinator. The team got $150,000 in investment for 7% of their company, which gives the company an over $2 million valuation. In conclusion, they're killing it. 